This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and your host here on Ringler Radio. Today we're coming to you from the 2013 Ringler Annual Meeting in warm, sunny Newport Beach, California. And uh, I really love it out here. I could uh, probably live out here if uh, someone would invite me. There are many, many elements uh, that come into play during a trial. For instance, the rather substantial process of deciding which jurors to choose and more importantly, how to engage them after they've been selected. Well, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to spotlight trial consulting and what lawyers should really know when it comes to jury selection. And to help with our discussion, I'm joined by my Ringler colleague and co-host, Tony Robinson, from the great state of Washington. Tony's a member of the Ringler Board of Directors. He has more than 22 years of claims experience, insurance experience, and structured settlement experience. You're a pretty experienced guy, Tony. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Well, thanks, Larry. These are the, this is the highlight of my year, the two hours I get to spend with you every, every <laughs> spring here in, in California. Uh, I, I love having you here as well. Well, our special guest today is attorney Jeffrey Boyd from Boyd Trial Consulting, also in Seattle. Uh, lawyers regularly hire Jeff to assist them with focus groups, theme development, witness preparation and jury selection, and the creation of powerful demonstrative evidence, enabling lawyers to more effectively present their cases at trial. Well, welcome, Jeff. Sounds like you're a very busy man when it comes to all these uh, great things you do. Well, thank you, Larry and Tony, for having me on. Well, Jeff, let's start uh, and begin by talking about what inspired you to start Boyd, Boyd Trial Consulting. Where did that come from? Well, I had tried a lot of cases over the first half of my career, and I was getting verdicts that I didn't understand, both both good and bad. And I started wondering, how did that happen, and, and why did they do what they did? What were they thinking to come up with that result? Mm-hmm. And as I started looking for answers, I was introduced to the idea of focus groups and started using them for my cases. Uh, I was a psychology major in college, and I was fascinated to find that jury deliberations were really more psychological than legal. After doing them for a while, some other lawyers started asking me to conduct focus groups for them, and it grew from that. Interesting. Well, you know, it's it's a question. It's a, we run into this quite a bit, and I've always wondered myself, you know, what they're all about. So I'd like to hear a little bit, you know, about why lawyers do focus groups, how effective they are, you know, and, and uh, you know, and the mock trials as well. I guess they go hand in hand. Yeah, focus groups are very effective in putting lawyers back in touch with how real people, the people that we call jurors, think about legal issues. Lawyers are probably pretty good people until they spend three years getting their brains scrambled in law school. And then they come out and they spend years sometimes working on those cases, and they get to the point where they just can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, They lose touch with what the real issues in their case are and what those look like to ordinary people. Uh, Beyond that, my focus groups are great for showing lawyers how to strengthen their presentation. By listening to people talk about your case, you learn how to talk back to them in the same language that they use. You also learn what matters to them, which often isn't what you think matters to them, and what doesn't matter, and you learn how to frame your case in themes that the jury understands. 
my goal is always not to predict how the actual trial will come out, but to take what we learned from the focus groups and get a better result at trial. Well, let's take a look at that then. Let's take a look at jury selection, uh, Jeff. What's your advice to attorneys when it comes to selecting the right jurors for their case? First and foremost, and this is a, a, a extension of lawyers kind of losing touch with how much they know about the legal system. Lawyers don't forget how little jurors know about the process of a trial, and don't forget that most jurors don't know what their job is. Here's the best example I can give you. In a civil trial, jurors have to decide both fault and damages. Uh, both jobs are equally important, and to plaintiff's lawyers, they might even say that the damages part is the most important. Yet many, if not most, prospective jurors have no idea in the world that it's up to them to decide the damages. So a good plaintiff's lawyer has to address that in voir dire. You can't take it for granted that the jury understands that damages are part of their responsibility. You have to educate them about that. Um, second, uh, real good rule, don't be afraid to talk about the hard parts of your case, like the concern that there are too many frivolous lawsuits. Nothing gets better by ignoring it. Much better to talk it through and work hard to create an atmosphere where the jurors can feel like they can say whatever is on their mind without you pushing back. You'll learn more uh, from them and about them that way. Uh, third, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, lawyers, but you need to close your mouth. Your goal is to have the jurors talk. The wrong way to pick a jury is to talk a lot to them. Mm -hmm. The right way to pick a jury is to have them talk a lot to you. Mm -hmm. Ask open-ended questions and then shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. I've seen way too many lawyers that say 10 words for every words the jurors say. You want to reverse that and say one word for every 10 they say. You've already said that you know the, the main kind of overall goal is to get a better result at trial. Is, through your experience, is, is, is that best accomplished by you know, connecting with the jurors and, and uh, you know, what is, or, or, or do you go in there looking for sp specific answers or are you looking for something more general in terms of the feedback from the mock, the focus groups in the mock trials? Well, in trial, uh, your main goal is to create credibility by showing the jurors that you'll listen to what they're saying and respect what you're saying. And you can learn that through the focus group process. It's really hard for lawyers to to learn to encourage jurors to say things that sound like they're bad for their case. Uh, but you have to be able to do that, and you have to show that you respect them for those opinions. Of course, the backstory is that you're going to use what they say to decide whether to kick them off the jury, but your first job is to honor what they're saying by uh, paying respectful attention. Well, you know, let's let's take it into trial now, and uh, it, it's just extremely difficult today to keep anyone uh, focused uh, due to our increasingly short attention spans. What What can lawyers do to keep jurors focused and engaged during the course of a trial? Well, the first thing they can do is shorten and simplify their cases. Uh, that's a lot of work. As we all know, it's harder to write a short story than it is a long story. But focus groups will show you that it's harmful to your case, and jurors reject the idea of throwing everything up there on the wall and seeing what sticks. They just don't have the patience for that anymore. The reality is there's only a few things that really matter to jurors, and focus groups help you figure out what those are uh, so that you can concentrate on those and not waste your time on peripheral matters. Second thing is you absolutely have to mix up your presentation. Uh, we all have been told and we know that people are primarily visual learners. The courtroom is really the last place on earth where people just talk for days at a time. No one's used to that. And in reality, no, one's to, no one wants to listen to people talk for days at a time. So as a lawyer, you need to move around, you need to write on a board, you need to use flip charts, you need to let the jury see photos and illustrations, you need to do timelines and storyboards and use video where you can to mix it up so that they're not getting any one segment for longer than a couple of minutes at a time. You know, you know, Jeff, let me just comment on that because uh, it's funny. I had, a, I had a friend of mine who 
loved to watch trial shows and, you know, legal shows on TV and then went into a real trial to sit back and, and watch a, a jury trial. And you know what they came out and, and said the difference was? On television, there's an editor. So you're, <laughs> you're switching from one face to another face, to a judge, to a, to a juror, to a person walking in. in. In the real world of the trial, it's all in front of you and it's, it can get very confusing and boring and there's none of this back and forth that keeps it moving. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, there's no other place where ordinary people go where they have to sit and be such passive listeners, and they just don't do it well anymore. Yeah, you're just confirming what we all know, that most of America you know, has ADHD, essentially, so <laughs> better give, keep hopping around. Well, let's kind of go further into the you know, personal injury trial. You know, are jurors today more apt to identify with you know, the injured party and decide on a big monetary ward, or does it vary by jurisdiction, presentation of the lawyer? You know, how do juries evaluate liability? How do you... How do you address all those things? There are big regional differences in jurisdictions, and that's why I always do focus groups or mock trials in the venue where the case is pending. You know, Southern California is not the same as Western Arizona, and these differences really matter. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, jurors in a civil case usually start out thinking the defendant is the victim and the plaintiff is the aggressor. Uh, The reality is juries are very reluctant to award big money in cases. The reporting on trials is like reporting on a lottery. We hear a lot about the one-in-a-million big winner. Uh, Losing is not news, and so losing is underreported. But uh, for every big verdict, there's a lot of small verdicts or verdicts where the plaintiff loses. You know, uh, what are some of the other factors, Jeff? You know, I'm I'm looking at uh, a, a case I have myself where one of the big issues as we went to mediation before before an actual jury trial was. We really liked the plaintiff. We found ourselves really liking this individual and said, boy, if this person goes into a courtroom, this, a jury is going to really like that guy. And therefore, you know, forget about all the liability arguments and the legal issues. Likeability has got to be one of the big factors that can sway a jury. Do you, do you agree with that? I think likability is a little overrated. Oh, the it? thing that really drives uh, damages and verdicts is the is the degree of fault of the defendant. You know, when, if you're badly at fault, the verdict's going to be much bigger than if if the fault is a kind of well, it could have happened to me fault. In fact, jurors evaluate damages only through the context of liabilities. Uh, it doesn't matter how badly the plaintiff is injured or what uh, losses they've suffered. If they think it was just caused by something that they call an accident, which is something that they mean uh, to be a injury that doesn't call for any recovery. Uh, As you see in focus groups, juries spend 80% of their time discussing liability and only 20% of their time discussing damages, no matter how the damages, no matter how bad the damages are, even in cases where the parties have stipulated or agreed to the liability. Well, you know, it's interesting. What you're saying kind of flies in the face of what I hear from a lot of lawyers, and that is uh, if you have a, uh, a situation where there's, you know, the defendant is at fault, and uh, the plaintiff is, uh, you know, just a bad guy. You know, picture a picture a plaintiff with tattoos and 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 just one of those bad bad apples. Uh, there's less likelihood to, uh, to to strike that defendant that hard. And yet, I also hear that if there's a very likable defendant, let's say the, a death case, and there's a widow sitting there with tears and and and, and lovely children that there's, it's more apt for the jury to find some fault on the defendant enough to be able to give that kind of a client 
uh, a claimant or plaintiff some money. You're, do you do you agree with that, or do you, are you do you saying that that's overrated as well? I think it matters more what the widow was doing that caused the wreck than whether the plaintiff uh, has tattoos or not. And here's what I mean by that: if the widow was, you know, on her way to Sunday school and and uh, reached down to to change the radio station. That's something that people aren't going to feel that strongly about, and that's going to be reflected in the damages. If, however, she was drunk and texting, and that's why she blew the stop sign, the verdict's going to be higher, regardless of who the plaintiff is. Well, I think good good comments, and I think it also uh, makes us pause it when we think about stereotypes and things like that, because uh, you know we've heard in our business for years people don't like motorcycles, people don't like big trucks, people don't like tattoos, you know, so. In reality, what you're saying in your focus groups is jurors really want to look at the the right and the wrong that occurred and, and don't factor some of those things in as much. They see fault in all shades of gray, and there's definitely a difference in their mind between how a case could should turn out, depending on how bad the conduct of the defendant and also how bad the conduct of the plaintiff was. They're, they are very particular about weighing any role that the plaintiff had in causing their injury. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and get right back into this. It's fascinating, Jeff. Uh, we're, uh, I'm sure our audience is uh, enjoying every minute of it. We'll be back in a minute with more on Ringer Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. You can listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose from almost 200 topics. All right, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Tony Robinson, and attorney Jeff Boyd from Boyd Trial Consulting in Seattle, Washington. Jeff, you know, we all in this business, we hear one thing all the time. We, we always hear from the uh, defendant, what does our driver look like? What does our driver sound like? Because they're concerned about how they're going to come across the trial, how the jury's going to, you know, look to that individual and, and, and draw some conclusions, forgetting about what he did in the incident. And then they always say, what does the plaintiff look like? Is the plaintiff a sympathetic soul, even though the plaintiff might have been much at fault in the incident? So there's, there's this concern that drives the dollars in many of these settlements. Are you saying that jurors don't really factor those things in as much? I'm saying I, I agree that attorneys think that 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 those appearance issues matter a lot. I'm also saying that I've seen a lot of cases where there were ugly-looking defendants and wonderful-looking plaintiffs uh, where the plaintiff didn't recover because of the facts of the of the incident. I think that drives the end result much more than just appearances. So what about preparing the witnesses for trials? Um, you know, once a person's on is under oath, there's not much the attorney can do on how the witness responds. And, you know, and obviously those responses have a big impact on the jury. So how do you go about 
you know, I guess preparing the attorneys to prepare the witnesses for trial? Yeah, with modern discovery, which often includes video depositions very early in the case, uh, preparing a witness for trial has to begin the first time the lawyer meets with the client, it can, and it can never stop. I think the best thing that a lawyer can do with a witness is to work really hard to keep their testimony simple. Uh, ask short questions that elicit short answers, and use visual references to support them. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking uh, a witness questions, but referring to a timeline or a storyboard, something that you can work off of to help uh, keep the orderly flow of, of the evidence. There's only so much you can do with a witness, and the, the best thing you can do for them is to keep it simple. You know, you also must see things that certain lawyers do that distract jurors. And uh, I remember I actually had a case years ago, this will age me, with Melvin Belli from San Francisco, one of the renowned lawyers. And, and he was talking about how he used to let a pen roll to the edge of the table and the jury would just be focused on this pencil and then it would drop to the floor when the other guy was doing his, his, his uh, cross-examination. So... Uh, do you find that lawyers' tactics like that, distracting jurors and trying to get them off off topic, that does that work? Well, it certainly does, and I think there's two kinds of distractions, the ones you intend and the ones you don't. The ones you don't are things like uh, not being able to find an exhibit and shuffling around on the desk, uh, those kinds of things which jurors really find annoying and you want to avoid those things at all costs. Yeah, the other things are intentional distractions. I think it was Clarence Darrow used to put wires in his cigar so the ash could get six inches long right. before it fell off. Or, <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or even intentional things like cross-examining a witness for hours uh, about things that really don't have any direct impact on the case but are, are distraction in, in, in the hope that the jury will lose focus on what the case is about. Before we get off this topic, what about the uh, individual who – do you find juries sometimes make up for a fumbling, mumbling lawyer and they actually uh, give more to the, to the client because of the mumbling, fumbling actions of a lawyer that they, they feel, uh, you know, they're trying to help the client? They definitely will look past the performance of the lawyer to kind of the underlying justice. It's not to say that, that, that a bad lawyer can get great results, but I do see sometimes that you know, they accept the fact that uh, there's something to be taken care of, even if the lawyer doesn't do a great job. Well, there's obviously a lot of psychology in the courtroom uh, between the lawyers themselves, the lawyers and the juries, but is, is there one sort of most successful strategy that, that you know, you would want everybody to know about? Yes, and I think this is uh, an area that I'm getting an expertise in. We have to recognize from the outset that jurors walk into the courtroom with their personal experiences and biases. Nobody checks their brain uh, at, the, at the threshold of the courthouse when they walk in. And we all have what psychologists call confirmation bias, which means we give a lot of weight to testimony that reinforces what we believe and not nearly as much weight to testimony or evidence that's contrary to what we believe. The reality is lawyers can only move those biases uh, so far with their facts and arguments. So what I tell lawyers is it's much better to figure out through focus groups what those experiences and biases are likely to be and then shape your case to embrace those. Much easier to do that than to try to change the mindset. Uh, to use an analogy, if this makes any sense, if you find out that a juror likes lions, it's better to make your case look like a lion than try to convince them that they should like a giraffe. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, lions and giraffes, what are your final parting thoughts to uh, lawyers on 
jurors and jury selection. What what kind of final thoughts do you want to leave our audience with? Well, one of the biggest problems I see today is judges that don't allow adequate time for voir dire. I mean, there's a, a trend that the voir dire should be, you know, an hour or less than an hour. The practical reality is you can't learn much about anyone if you only have 60 minutes to talk to a panel of 40 people. So I encourage people to do whatever you can. Promise the judge you won't waste their time if they'll give them a little bit more time for voir dire and then uh, follow up and, and ask good voir dire questions instead of bad voir dire questions. So, you know, there, there's one final uh, thought, and that is that a lot of people, that when they talk about focus groups and, and mock trials, they say the flaw in those uh, processes are that the actual plaintiff himself or the defendant driver is not there to be viewed. And, and, and I come back, I'm coming back to that issue before about the likability factor and all that. Do you, do you think that those mock trials and focus groups can still be effectively uh, useful without, having, without seeing the real players in the game? Absolutely. And there's a couple of thoughts. One is, increasingly, again, we have video depositions so we can play testimony from both sides. Uh, second of all, you can level the playing field by doing both sides' testimony on paper so that they're not one side outbalancing the other because one person's in uh, in person and the other isn't. Uh, but but most of all, I tell people, regardless of how the plaintiff or the defendant appears, by listening to what real people have to say about your case, you're going to learn a lot that you wouldn't learn otherwise. And that's worth much more than the fact that you can't it's true, scientifically recreate the exact scenario that you're going to have in a courtroom. Well, with that, uh, we're going to say uh, farewell and, and close our show. This is terrific, Jeff. Uh, it's one of, our, uh, I, one of our most interesting shows. I really appreciate your input. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, Jeff, how do they do that? Well, they can call me. I love to talk to trial lawyers. My number is 206-971-7601, or look for the Boyd Trial Consulting tab at our website, nelsonboydlaw.com. Terrific. And Tony, how about yourself? Yeah, it's, uh, you can reach me at uh, T. Robinson at ringlerassociates.com or call me in the office at 800-344-7452. Terrific. And all of you out there, you want to reach a Ringler Associate, the website, ringlerassociates.com. Uh, all of the associates can be uh, can be reached on that website. And plus, there's a tremendous amount of information. I encourage you to go and, and look at it. Uh, and all the Ringler Radio shows can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from ringlerradio.com or legaltalknetwork.com. And, of course, you can always subscribe to Ringler Radio in iTunes and uh, just stream it right to your, uh, to your earphones. That will be really cool, Jeff, and people can walk around and listen to you uh, all day long in the park. It will be great. So thanks for listening. Uh, Jeff, again, thanks for joining us. It was very informative. Thank you for having me. And, Tony, again, thanks for being a great co-host. Thanks, Larry, and thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. And for the rest of you out there, go have a great, great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, Visit ringlerassociates.com today.